so this is episode one of the Understable Podcast. I am Roy Skidmore. And I am Mark Boonstra. And we're here to talk about everything disc golf, from local Dayton scene disc golf to national tour, uh, just really everything in between. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I think to kick us off with our first uh, topic, um, Roy, what led you to start playing disc golf? Yeah, so I've been playing disc golf now for about a year and four months. Um, I played college basketball, played ball golf, as we like to call it, uh, for the last 25 years. Um, you know, was very competitive in ball golf. Um, played in a college tournament uh, for the college I played basketball for. Uh, I got to play in a college golf tournament, which was pretty cool. Uh, played for money in different kind of aspects throughout uh, my 20s and 30s. Um, I've always known about disc golf, uh, especially, you know, I, I'm a YouTube junkie and I go down the rabbit hole all the time. And sometimes that rabbit hole would take me to uh, disc golf tournaments or, you know, epic aces and all this. Um, you know, kind of one of those things where I've always wanted to, to try it. I just never did, um, you know. If you're, you're getting into a sport, you don't even know where to get discs most of the time. Um, the good thing is I live in Dayton, Ohio, or when I moved to Dayton, Ohio in 2011, um, I knew of the Hazy Shade Disc Golf Store. Um, you know, passed it all the time, but never walked in. Um, and interestingly enough, I got into watching more disc golf on YouTube, or on YouTube, I should say, uh, you know, pretty recently, 2018 or so. Uh, Paul McBeth obviously was is all over Ricky Wysocki those you know the big names and one day uh, I got off work a little earlier I was actually working for a uh, captioned phone company um, so I was at the senior center there right by Belmont Disc Golf Park and uh, my boss said hey let's just you know the event was over at two and he said let's just call it a day um, and I said you know what I'm close to the disc golf store let me stop in there and see what's going on maybe we'll play I stopped in there, I got three discs for myself, three discs for my son who's now 16, almost 17, um, and uh, you know, that's kind of how it started. We went and played at the hardest, you know, one of the hardest courses here in uh, Dayton, which happens to be like a minute from my house, it's Sycamore Disc Golf Course. I was told not to start there, but we only had like an hour to kill, uh, so that's where we started. Hole one as a tunnel shot fades to the right when it's in the short across the water um my first shot went directly to the left on a hyzer into the woods uh, and i was hooked and so that's you know that's really where everything started um my disc golf journey i was super lucky um with my job i you know i kind of set my own schedule and i got lucky in the sense that you know within the disc golf community everybody's awesome you know everybody's cool i got to play with more thousand rated players you know than than most people do when they first start and that was the biggest help for me um you know my first 18 holes was at belmont disc golf park uh with thomas anderson who's not thousand rated sorry thomas uh but who was was jeremiah Krause. And, you know, to play with him, he, he was cool. He helped me out the whole time. I got to watch him throw an ace on hole 11, which was, you know, for me, mind-blowing. Um, 
And so, you know, from that point on, I was hooked. Uh, Tommy Gray, big, huge help for me. Uh, a thousand rated player, like I said. I played with him more than, than probably most. Um, you know, I would go, you know, we'd pick up, we'd go meet at a park somewhere, or I'd go pick him up and we'd go to a park. Um, and just watching those good players, I, I think for any new disc golfer, if you can watch a good player play, it does nothing but help you. Um, you know, so I got super lucky. Uh, I, I, me and our, me and my son started a Hazy Shake Putting League. Uh, the biggest connection we made there was Christine Jennings and Bartez uh, Koaleski. Yeah, I said it right. Uh, that that was, you know, really that was a big contacts for us. You know, two touring pros, Christine's top twenty-five woman in the world, and she was super awesome with me and my son. Like, you know, our first putter we got, I think mine was like a hundred and fifty some grand putter. And as soon as she saw that, she said, that's not good. And went out and, like, picked out three putters and said, which one do you like best? And, and I, I think I picked the Challenger at the time, and it was given to me, uh, not only by her, but by Hazy Shade. So, you know, we can't, you know, thank, you know, everybody in the community enough, um, you know, for my start. Um, you know, with that said, I think I've gotten luckier than most. As far as being competitive, um, you know, I jumped up to intermediate. I think I'm only like an 867 rated golfer, but, you know, I play pretty decent sometimes. So, you know, I jumped up to intermediate. My goal is to play MP40, uh, which will be in a year, or awesome. actually January. Uh, so I turned 39 in June, and in January I can start playing either MA or MP40. Uh, my goal is to play MP40. I think I'm throwing further, uh, you know, thanks to Phil Penrod who nope. is another, you know, an advanced golfer, probably could play MPO. Phil, if you're listening, you should probably make the jump. Uh, but that's he, neither here nor there. Um, you know, and I, I think that's the biggest thing with the disc golf community is, you know, everybody's there to help. You know, like the guys I've played with, they're always there to help. Um, you know, Phil played with me for 16 holes at Armco. Uh, and then finally was like, hey, I think if you tried this, you might be a little better. Uh, and I absolutely was. Like, it was the biggest jump that I've had, and I shot a 9-27 rated round my next tournament because of what he said. So, you know, I think, you know, that's that's kind of my start. It's a year and four months in. I'm probably a little more advanced than a lot of people a year and four months in. And it's only because I've had the kind of mentors and with some of the friends I've made in the disc golf community. Absolutely. I mean, we've got such a great community. I think we're truly blessed in the Dayton, Cincinnati area with not only the number of courses that we have, but just the talent that we have. I mean, we got Rebecca Cox, you know, out of Cincinnati, she's a great touring pro. Um, I think she'll do great things in, in her future. And you mentioned Christine and Bart, um, both well respected and well known in our community. Um, just having that influence of. Um, excellent players definitely helps you know improve your own skill. So Mark, I, tell me, so Mark, tell me how you got involved in disc golf and when and where. Well, I started uh, early two thousands. I played very casually um, in northern Michigan. I used to work at a church camp where they put a, a course in. Um, actually, a really good course, and I enjoyed playing it. And then uh, back in two thousand and six, I went ahead and joined the military. I quit playing disc golf for the most part at that point. And then after I got out, we'll fast forward a little bit to 2016 when I moved to Ohio. Um, 
I met a friend through the Xbox that lived in Minnesota, just a few moments from Blue Ribbon Pines. And all she did was talk about throwing discs and out playing and tournaments and leagues and just how involved she was and how good it was for her both like mentally and physically with being healthier. And I was like, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Let me go back out and play. And at the time, I lived in Fairfield. Uh, picked up a few discs from like a local store, I think it was. Went out and played Harbin Park for you know the first time. And I was like, man, this is actually kind of fun. Um, started just playing more and more and more. And then joined up with the, uh, the doubles league that was going on at Harbin at the time. Played that a few weeks and... Um, kind of stopped playing leagues. I just didn't feel I was good enough to play with those guys. They, they were just crushing. You know, Cyrus Furman, um, Ian Collins, some of those guys were out there. They just could absolutely crush. And I'm, here I am throwing 150-foot drives and feel like I'm really holding my partner back. And uh, so I quit playing out there as far as league goes. Um, started actually playing Monroe a little bit more with Ian after I moved to Middletown. And then uh, right here in town, I got Germantown. Twin Creek Disc Golf Course just didn't really fall in love with that course but I like it enough that I mean you've been out several times I run my league out there and it's been fun to watch that grow to where I'm running on I think four years strong of running league and it's awesome to see that part grow just from the community's help um, as far as me though I'm just I'm still a rec player technically novice by rating but I play intermediate I've played intermediate with you a couple times I think um How'd that go, by the way? Well, first round went pretty good. That, uh, yeah, he decided, "Hey, I'm coming out and shooting 11 down," and just destroyed me the second <laughs> round. But it was it was good. It was good though. I really enjoyed it, and the weather wasn't the greatest, but we we've thrown a few side wagers on rounds. It beat you what two or three times in a row, and then you just turned it up on me. Yeah. So to to elaborate on that story, uh, he made a post about people sandbagging, which is fine. I do it all the time. Um, and technically my rating is rec, uh, but my rating is not probably where I should play. And I know that, uh, so he moved to intermediate and so did I, and I asked to be on the same card as him just to prove a point. And, uh, on 17 in the first round, no, maybe it was probably like our 15th hole, but it was 17. He made a putt from 20 feet and said, not today, Roy, not today. Very true. And so I think he was up maybe one or two going into the second round. And I went six or seven on the first uh, seven holes, and he did not, and it was over from there. And I ended up tying for first, and, and it didn't go so well for Mark. So not only did I cash in the tournament, but he owed me money as well. Yeah, I got a little cocky, and it kind of was my downfall in that tournament. But, dude, you shot you shot great that second round, especially with the conditions we had for the overall day. It was definitely uh, challenging. Um but going forward, I think, as far as what I see myself doing in the future, I'll still compete in tournaments. I probably won't be playing much outside of MA2, intermediate. But I think I want to get more in the direction of course design, course maintenance, and actually becoming a certified TD to run more events and help out around here. I think that's one of the things our community lacks is volunteer help and, and tournament directors. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and, you know, to kind of toot his horn a little bit, uh, he runs a great league all year round. Um, you know, for anybody that's ever run a league, uh, that's a lot of work. So he runs a Friday night league in the summer, spring, summer, 
uh, and then runs a three disc league all winter uh, at Germantown, which is an 18 hole red course, which is short, which is great for three disc, and then also a 27 hole black course, which is a little longer. Uh, not super long, but it's super technical. So, you know, that is kind of the course that I would say is the uh, great equalizer because I don't care if you throw 500 feet, if you can't hit a line, it doesn't matter out there. So, you know, for what Mark does, it, it, it's awesome. Um, and, and like he said, you know, you can't have, you can't have, you know, TDs. You can't have too many TDs. You can't have too many course designers or, or course maintenance guys. He was out there today uh, because at Germantown we're dealing with erosion. Um, we're losing a tee pad and a whole hole. So, you know, he's out there trying to cut wood for a new fairway and kind of almost redesign uh, two to three holes. So, you know, that that's awesome for him to do that. Um, I, I guess our next topic, since we kind of have our start in disc golf, is, well, know, well, real quick, you mentioned you know Germantown being the great equalizer. Uh, true story, actually, last summer um, during summer league, um, I lost to Tommy Gray by I think it was one stroke. I think he shot even, and I was plus one on the black course for, for the league layout, and I was pretty happy with that. I mean, you're talking one of the best in Dayton as far as consistency and overall player. I mean, I was proud of that moment, but. I haven't been the same since. Just kind of. <laughs> that was it. That was that, it that was it. That was my highlight, I guess. That was his highlight. I was there that day. So now, that was the highlight. What was it? Last weekend, you went and played Gem City 12, right? Yeah. How'd you do? Uh, so last weekend, I played intermediate uh, at Belmont Disc Golf Course. After round one, I was in the lead, tied for the lead at four under, which happened to be the best round I've shot there. Uh, and then I ended up tied for fifth because I stayed at four under. Just could not get kind of anything strung together and shot even um birdied some holes bogeyed some holes just you know could not get it together um you know for me though with that you know tied for fifth and intermediate I, I didn't care for that but for the first round I knew I could have shot eight or nine under um had I made some putts so so for me it was confidence confidence wise I knew I could throw as far as I needed to throw to get it birdies on every hole um so you know that's why i i think my track is mp40 um you know obviously probably not touring uh as far as like a touring professional but you know with my uh with with what i do kind of when i'm not at disc golf with my job um i will be able to you know kind of go play some bigger tournaments um, kind of lucky to be able to afford that aspect um, so i'll go play some bigger tournaments and see how i do um you know, probably won't, I'm not going to be a Steve Rico or, or, you know, some of those guys, the Yeti, you know, some of those guys have been playing for 20 years and now right. they're 40. Uh, but I'll be the guy who's been playing for a year and a half is now 40 who can kind of compete and maybe cash every once in a while and, and kind of go from there. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to go on tour at 40 and, and try to make a living at disc golf. Um, but you know, if I can go have fun and, and make, you know, and pay for my, pay for my trip, then then I'll do that. Absolutely. Um, last weekend, I made a, a trip up to Michigan to play. Um, it's called the Lumberjack Open near uh, Kalamazoo. And I played a tournament there last fall. The National Amateur Disc Golf Tour was there. And it was actually my first tournament make, for making a full bag change over to Prodigy. And the first round, I did great. I shot plus one. I was feeling really good. 
And then second round hit, and we all had those second round woes. I ended up shooting plus 10 second round and dropped about 10 spots. And I really wasn't happy with the finish then. So I decided to go back for another event, try and improve my overall score. And uh, first round, I shot seven over, which was still, I think it was about an 814 or an 818 rated round, which is higher than what I'm rated. And then second round, I made a few changes to some holes, played a little more conservative. Ended up shooting plus four for plus 11 overall again. So I mean, consistent, I guess. And that was an 827 rated round and actually jumped about five spots in the standings. So finished 28th out of 36 overall. So, but can't complain. I still shot better than my rating and I had fun doing it. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, I, I guess the, the, the big thing is, and a lot of people are listening are going to be local uh, to the Dayton area. You know, maybe one day we'll branch out nationally and, and get some more listeners. But, you know, you, you have these tournaments, and, and, and locally I think Dayton is blessed uh, with the amount of tournaments we have with the way they're run. Um, you know, barring Crabtree, uh, Chili Corals, those guys, you know, and, and what was it, Tony Waterfall? Yep. You know, obviously he's retired now, but, man, I'm telling you, I, I, can't, I, I can't stress enough how many chills I get every day from seeing Echo Park. Uh, seeing the layout for Echo Echo Valley, right? It's not Echo Park, but Echo Valley. Um, that Tony Waterfall made is a portable course. Last year I got to play, um, but it's going in permanent. Um, I, I think we're truly blessed. We have you know between Caesars Ford, Beaver Creek, uh, Belmont, you know, uh, Handyman Ace in Fairborn, uh, Sycamore, and now we're going to have Echo Valley, and then Armco is just a hop, skip, and a jump. And even then, you drive an hour down the road, you're at Idlewild. Wild. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, our area is a plethora of, of championship disc golf courses. I mean, I, I truly feel Dayton can hold a Worlds here, you know, within the next five years. Um, they, they really could. I, I don't know that we ever will, um, but we definitely have the courses to do that, so I think we're super lucky. Um, let me ask you this, so so where do you feel your disc golf is going to go within the next year? Within the next year, thinking short term, I'll still compete, as I said earlier. I don't think I'm going to compete as aggressively as I want to as far as playing a number of events. Um, but I get a lot of fulfillment out of running my league and being out on the course and just doing the work and, and seeing results in that aspect. So... I think long-term, well, even just in the next year and going forward from there, I want to go more in the direction of getting my TD certification, running, help, helping Brian Crabtree and, and some of these other guys in Dayton that run tournaments and get involved and help them out where help is really needed, especially with course maintenance. I mean, we just don't have the volunteers that are willing to step up and get involved. Yeah, you know, and with that, you know, obviously our courses are beautiful. Green County. The great thing about Green County is they take care of their courses. Caesars mm. Ford, uh, Fairborn. Well, I don't know. Is Fairborn in Green County? I couldn't tell you. All right. Well, it might be, but it might not be. Uh, but Caesars Ford, Carroll Park, two of my favorite courses. Um, obviously, Sycamore is one of my favorites because um, it's literally two minutes from my house. I don't play there a lot because it's hard. Um, you know, there's nothing worse than go down there getting humbled by Sycamore. So I, I don't I, go there a lot. I dare say Sycamore is probably the hardest course in our local area. Yeah, uh, on West Dayton, at least. Yeah, it, it absolutely might be. Um, so I don't like to go get humbled a lot. I like to feel good about myself. Um, but Green County Parks, you know, obviously does a great job. 
Um, but with some of these other courses, you know, volunteers are definitely needed. Um, our courses look great, though. You know, unfortunately, we have two or three guys that, that do all the work. Um, but, you know, those two or three guys do a great job um, of, of doing all the work. Um, you know, if I look at myself in a year, I turned 39 in June, which technically means in January I can move up to age protected. Um, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, I can't, you know, I got a little buddy named Dylan who's like 16 or 15 and out throws me by like 100 feet. So I have no desire to play that kid for another like four years or five years or however much until he moves out of my division. Uh, so I'm definitely going to move up. And, and do I think that I'm going to dominate in MP or MA40? Absolutely not because I know some of them dudes are awesome. Um, my goal is to beat Scott Jenkins. Uh, that's my number one goal. Um, I don't really know that guy, but he's always posting on Facebook and stuff. So I just want to beat that guy. Uh, well, I've, I've seen him. I mean, I've I've seen him at Germantown for a couple of events, and dude's pretty good from what I can tell. And, yeah, no, he's really good. But I I just want to beat him. That's my only goal in life is to beat Scott Jenkins. So, so Scott, if you listen to this, there's your official call yeah, out. There's your call out. I'm gonna try to beat you. That's my that's my goal in life. Uh, I know he does throw for Stupid Tree Disc Golf, which is a local disc golf company. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to oblige that. Um, other than that, I know, you know, Kurt Jones throws, Jay Schroeder, who yep. took all the money in the skins game we played the other day. So we'll have to deal with that. But, you know, I think that's that's going to be awesome for me to, to move up and, and play. Um, and, and then hopefully get to play some bigger events uh, in that age-protected division. So, just real quick, if you could pick any touring pro right now to go, just go play a casual round with, it, who would it be and why would you play with them? So, mine would be Brody Smith because I'm a super Brody Smith fanboy. Uh, not only just from disc golf, though, but I've been watching Brody. Uh, I've been a Dude Perfect fan forever, and so he's been on there for Ultimate. Um, you know, I think – so, I started following Brody when he was, when he was trying to play tour golf. Um, so he did trick shots, uh, but he's actually a really good ball golfer. Like, he's well above average. Um, you know, he's probably like a two or three handicap was uh, for ball golf. Um, and so that would be my pick. He's a, he's 6'5". He's got bad knees like I do. Um, and it's really interesting to be such a prolific ultimate Frisbee player to where you're one of the best in the country. And to be able to throw just the, the Frisbee – uh, really anywhere you want and you know it to any distance and hit whatever you know to be kind of a you know almost a duck out of water in disc golf which you think would be an easy transition but to watch him you know kind of go from you know playing with Paul and Simon the first time and not understanding anything to you know where he's at and, and a lot of people will say you know and, and it's mostly pros a lot of these pros that think they're owed something because they have toured and they've paid their dues and all this crap uh, to think that he doesn't deserve what he's got. Well, he's beat you. So, you know, like he cashed in his first tournament this year. Like he's got a YouTube following. So, okay, so he gets to play disc golf for eight hours a day. Well, that's not his fault. Like he's dedicated himself to whatever he wants to do, and he does that. Like you can't get mad at the guy because he's dating a Dallas – or he's married to a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader – and he has eight hours to play golf because he built a brand on YouTube. He started out throwing ultimate Frisbees and doing tutorials on how to throw backhands and forehands, put himself out there to where he's at today. 
Um, you know, he's done that work and he's grinded. And so he's, he's allotted, he's allotted that kind of freedom. Yeah. That kind of freedom to play this golf every day. You know, he's, you may have grinded on tour at your local event and said, well, I want to be a pro disc golfer. That's fine. But you didn't do these other things that he's done. You know what I mean? So, so he's allotted that freedom. He's, you know, if I was, you know, really great friends and business partners with the best player in the world, probably I'd be a little bit better too. But again, he's because of the brand he built. I mean, you can't say he's coming from NFL. I mean, he came from ultimate Frisbee. And built right. the brand and the money, you know, the three million YouTube followers are from Ultimate Frisbee, for God's sake. Like, that's not a mainstream sport. No, not at all. So I mean, he's built what he's built by grinding. And so it, you, you can't look at it and be like, oh, well, he's getting handed a Discraft contract and this and that. Well, I hate to tell you something. He already had a Discraft contract. Discraft sold all his Frisbee. The Dark Horse Frisbees for Ultimate were already, he was already sponsored by Discraft. They just switched over everything. I did not know that. Yeah, so he already had Dark Horse Frisbees for Discraft. Like, that has already been a thing. Like, how do you think he got to play with Paul Beth the first time? Well, they already know each other. You know, they introduced him. So, you know, and so, yeah, he has a leg up on everybody because he has, you know, a sponsor right off the rip, and he's probably getting paid a lot of money. But he also has a following. I, I guarantee the amount of people he's brought into disc golf would rival coronavirus. And here's why I say that is because he had 3 million followers. And if you don't like Brody, understand that he played with Simon. He's played with Ezra. He's played with Tristan Thompson. He's played with Paul McBeth. He's played with Uliberry. All on their YouTube channels, Paige Pierce. All these people on their YouTube channels, or if they're on his YouTube channel, and he's helped them get followers and ask people to subscribe to their channels. He always does a front nine video and a back nine video with these people. And he'll do the front nine on his and the back nine on on theirs. So Simon has built like 100,000 followers. He was with Brody like three or four videos. Trick shot videos, first time Brody played videos, other videos like Paul McBest subscribers. If you go onto his YouTube, I think he has, well, last I checked, he's like 40,000 some, 35, 40,000. But the videos where Brody was in the video, it's up to 75 or 100K views. The videos where Brody's not in it, it's down to like 30, 35. So you can say what you want, but he's helping other people build a brand. He's helped Uliberry. Paul Uliberry, all of a sudden, it brings out content every week. Well, it's no, it's, it's no secret that Uliberry and, and Macbeth are great friends, or uh, Brody are great friends. You know, Ezra. Ezra's been on his channel. Ezra's now doing videos all the time. You know, all these people. He Brody showed him a way to build content and to build subscribers. And he's helping all these guys. So for everybody that says, well, he's not paying his dues and blah, blah, blah. All these other pros who are mad because he has a Discraft sponsorship. But are like 100 places behind him in these events because he's cashing now. He's helping grow the sport. So you should... You should kind of be excited that he's involved so last year i remember he played was it, or was it two years ago now no last year so he's only he, been, he, he played what three or four tournaments and then decided to quit playing for the rest of the season yeah so do you uh, think in, in his first term i think he shot a high 900 rated round yeah so when decided to pull out was that because no nah. was that a smart move on his on his part or? yeah 
Yeah, so absolutely. So Waco was his first tournament. Okay. We just actually had that recently. Yeah, so this was a year from that. So Waco was his first tournament, and I think he was on the feature card. That was like a big deal. So, so yes, Brody's had a different go of things. So he shot a, a 900 rated round out in California with Corns and Macbeth and them guys coaching him to make sure he got the 900 so he could qualify for MPO. Um, he was never going to play advanced or anything like that. Uh, so at Waco last year, he was on a feature card. I think he shot two under. You know what I mean? Which, if you've never played the Beast, like two under is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then he's out in Virginia filming Paul with Paul and doing different things. And he got Lyme disease. He actually got Lyme disease. Like, And so, you know, he's struggling with Lyme disease. He didn't take the Ricky Wysocki route and actually went and got like medication and didn't try to do the holistic, you know, crap. Uh, went and got medication. So, but in a lot of his videos, and you could go back and watch, he's got an umbrella because the sun just kills you when you're on Doxy, which is super important because Lyme disease is now prevalent in Ohio. So, you know, figure that out. If you get bit and you got a bullseye, go get Doxy. Um, so he, uh, so he had to do that. And and his biggest thing was last year, and like he came out and said, was he couldn't practice. You know, so he just jumped into this, started playing tournaments. He said he would go to these tournaments and have to try to figure out their course, but didn't have time to do field work and actually get better with his form. So the reason he left touring was so he could go and practice, you know, which which I think, you know, a lot of people may not have done. He said, you know, I just didn't have the form right. I wasn't very good. I needed to go practice. Now, his not very good is obviously way better than ours. But he wanted to go practice, and, and so that's why he did um, he was actually on the Nate Sexton podcast uh, the other day, and um, I listened to that. It's a great listen. Um, and his biggest takeaway from that was he has 2022 marked is when he's going to be good. He doesn't really care what he does this year in tournaments. He has 2022 marked is the year that he wants to start being competitive and try to win. Um, he said, you know, he's still working on things, which which I think is for a competitive person like he is that traveled the world and played ultimate to say, well, I'm not, I want to be competitive, but I'm not going to be this year. And this is my focus is on 2022. I still have a lot to learn. I still need to get better. I'm going to go play, but I'm still not, I'm not going to be disappointed until 2022. So that's kind of where he's. I think that's a good move too, to set your focus on getting your form right, getting the experience of the tournament vibe, and not just trying to jump head first like you did last year into everything. Um, I think that, like, personal opinion, that may have set him back just a little bit. But, again, friends with Paul Macbeth, one of the best players out there. Um, that has its perks for sure. Um, but, yeah, definitely setting goals for improving and when you want to really get into the competitive side. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be able to take a step back and say, I know I'm not where I want to be, but this is where I want to go. Um, the good thing about that is in 2021 at Waco, the cash, I think he's in the top 30. You know, there's a, he's beating a lot of pros, you mm-hmm. know, the, a lot of touring guys. So, you know, to, to say that you, you're trying to strive to do something better, um, and that's really where your goal's at, that's, you know, that's kind of an awesome, you know, standpoint. Uh, you know, with that being said, uh, kind of to talk a little bit about some of our local touring pros. Uh, throw down the mountains going on this weekend. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool tournament, in Florida. There's, it's a big mountain. Paul Beth. Now, mind you, the big tour pros are out at a Silver Series in Belton. 
Uh, but we got Bartez. Uh, so Bart here, Koleski is at four under and tied for ninth. Pretty good start, That's right? Good start, yeah. Uh, somebody, uh, Jay Bunnell, is fifteen under. He had eleven down round today, which is amazing. There, um, Tony Mo, uh, Tony Mo race is where's Tony at? Oh, he's not down that far. Uh, Tony Mo's even, so he's tied for twentieth. And then the other disc golfer we have here, Patrick Gray. Uh, had a tough day today. He was even la uh, even yesterday, and I talked to him, and he said he had some things that he knew he could change up. Thought he would go low today, uh, but Patrick is plus seven. He's tied for 35th, uh, so he had a bad round today. Um, you know, but this is his first year playing MPO, so this is his first kind of major tournament of 2021, and so uh, so I look for him to uh, to do better. I told him just to, you know, go low tomorrow and cash, so we'll see how it goes from there. Well, best of luck to those guys. Hopefully they can uh, place and, and finish well and be on, on a high of coming off that event. If you were to ask me who I would play with six months ago, I would hands down say Paul McBeth. And why, again, he is the middle disc golfer when you think of professional players. But it, it, it's not six months ago. Or it's a whole different era. And I actually just watched the OTB skins match from Waco. Just, uh, a couple days ago and I think currently I would have to pick Kevin Jones because I don't think he takes everything as serious as some of the other pros do he just goes out and has a lot of fun with it and to me that's that's more important than me going out and, and trying to compete with guys like you that I, you know, I, I can't compete with realistically so instead of going out and trying harder and shooting worse I'm just going to have a great casual round with somebody and just laugh my butt off and have a good time. That's that's what I enjoy on the course. But even with that, Kevin Jones is probably one of the top consistent putters on the tour. Guy guy just is amazing. His straddle put is on point, and he really knows how to smash some chains even from 50, 60, 70 feet out with a straddle putt. It's impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, KJ USA, as they like to call him. Uh, you know, has the best ace in disc golf by far, where he fell down and broke his kneecap pretty much uh, last year. If you haven't seen it, go look that up. Um, you know, it's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things I find interesting about Kevin, I watch the OTB skins all the time that he's on, which, you know, I'm pretty sure he's somewhat sponsored by whoever's doing that because he's always on it. Uh, you know, he super bends. It looks like he throws everything on hyzer. Uh, so I don't know if he just plays with super flippy disc or what, but it honestly looks like he throws everything bent over on hyzer, uh, which which I always find amazing. Um, you know, the other person I would I would probably pick besides Brody is Jeremy Colvin uh, mm. to play with, only because he's hilarious. I would probably pick him and Paul. You, I'd like to just go and play one of those practice rounds. I don't know if you've ever seen them on YouTube. I, I've watched them. Yeah, they're they're the practice rounds of those two are hilarious because they just talk crap the whole time. Well, that sounds like you and me when we're out there playing. Yeah, except for it's pretty even when they're playing. Um, it's not so much even when me and Mark are playing, <laughs> but that's a different episode. Um, so let's let's kind of switch topics. We talked about the pro we'd want to play with. We talked about different pros. So let's talk about the biggest news here in 2021. And let's talk about Paul McBeth, who obviously is, you know, he's not the number one rated gopher right now. I think Cal Calvin Heiberg is. 
about whatever, but if you ask Paul, he doesn't care about ratings because uh, ratings never won him a tournament, uh, according to himself. Uh, but he signed a 10-year, $10 million contract with Discraft, which obviously opened a lot of eyes. You know, obviously, you know, uh, I think, what, three years ago he signed or two years ago? Two years ago he signed a four-year, $2 million contract, if I recall. And I actually sat down and watched part of Paul's video about this new contract. And the CEO of Discraft was on there, and he was talking about how they had more than doubled profits of his actual contract just in those two years. So on a business move it made sense to renew a contract for a much larger scale and I'll go out there a little early in our conversation and say I don't think it's Paul Macbeth himself I think it's definitely the Paul Macbeth brand that he's created that has brought in this kind of revenue for Discraft and it's continuing to grow well so you know obviously I have 20 some years of, of ball golf experience and here's what I can tell you is that that if you're going to play clubs in ball golf, you're going to play clubs that matter. Uh, so your tailor-mades who signed Tiger Woods and DJs or Dustin Johnson's, you're going to play those. You're going to play the uh, Cobra clubs who signed uh, Ricky and, and signed DeChambeau. Um, you're not going to play the, the outlandish clubs, the Wilsons and different things. Um, the biggest manufacturers have the biggest players. Um, you know, looking, you know, trying to research different things. Uh, when you look up, you try to find Discraft, and it's a private company. You try to find their net sales, and it says roughly like $3.9 million in 2020. Well, if you take that for a grain of salt, you're not able to pay somebody a million dollars with your net sales is $3.9 million. Here's what I can tell you. That number is not even close to the actual net sales that, that probably Discraft had in 2020. Um, and the reason I can say that is because if you go online or if you go on Facebook to any Discraft site or any Discraft anything, you can buy a new Paul McBeth Hades for $30 or it retails for like 20 And the manufacturer probably gets like, I don't know, six or seven out of it, right? So the aftermarket for these discs, because they're so hard to find, is amazing. Uh, as and, and that as, comes back to the... The, how much the sport has grown this past just in the past year with the COVID pandemic, um, the, the in, um, explosion of new players joining the sport and um, vendors not being able to keep up with production is going to supply and demand here. It's going to drive the prices aftermarket up. Well, yeah, and with that said, you know, new players in the sport are going to look up who's the best, right? So anybody that talks about golf knows who Tiger Woods is. Right, so if Discraft is the new great sport, who do you think they know? Who they know who Paul McBeth is? You know, the same sense they know you know like it or love it, they know who Brody Smith is. You know, in the same sense, like don't be surprised if Brody signs the other big deal. You know, that's that's kind of my my thinking. Brody's probably going to sign, you know, probably the second or third biggest deal in disc golf, and this not has anything to do with how good he is, but it has to do with when his Get Freaky Zones went out. The second-hand market on that is $600. They were gone in seconds on every website in the in the disc golf world. So don't be shocked if he signs the second or third biggest disc golf contract. I, I don't care what anybody says. You know, you can you can say, well, he's not good enough, and that's fine. The reason Paul McBeth signed that, that big a contract is anything Paul touches or anything with Paul's name on it 
is sold out in a matter of seconds. They can't make enough. Now, you'll find Hades now and still in disc golf shops and stuff. You know, they made stock runs. But as far as prototypes are concerned, and when they first came out, you couldn't get them. You know, you, you, you know five minutes. Uh, so the other, the other thing that we should talk about is Paul owns Foundation Disc Golf. Yep, and he also just launched his own foundation. Yeah, so he, he lost it with the Edge Foundation, so you'll see that on Pro Tour coverage. Was it the Edge or was it the Paul Macbeth Foundation? No, it's like it's called like Edge Foundation or Paul Macbeth Foundation. But so it, it all correlates with on the Pro Tour. So at Waco Hole Three, they had the elevated basket and they had the target. And if you hit the target, they donated money. Okay. Um. So that's all. That all ties in. Um. But so so Foundation Disc Golf. Uh, for people who don't know, is a, is an online retailer, kind of small at the time. Um, did a lot of YouTube videos and different things, and Paul would be on there because they were all friends. What you didn't realize is Paul was actually the silent investor. So there was two other guys on there who were doing all the videos and stuff, and Paul would be there. You know, it's like kind of like they're you know they're all in Virginia. Uh, and then once everything took off and Brody got involved, uh, one of the other investors left. Paul and Brody got involved with Foundation. Brody bought in, and now they all own that. So Paul, Brody, and the other guy own Foundation Disc Golf. Uh, it's an online retailer. They do YouTube content, um, and so so one of the great things about Paul is is now Discraft has changed it, and they're only doing their re new releases on Discraft site. They used to do a lot of releases on Foundation site. So not only is Paul getting the money from Discraft. Mm -hmm. you know four bucks per disc or whatever he was getting but he was also getting the retail you know from foundation who was selling out in like a second the problem was foundation didn't have the the, the structure that Discraft did and they were crashing because everybody would go there uh, but if you go to foundation you can look up paul's bag brody's bag and see what's in their bag and buy it um, there's just not enough inventory obviously because everything they touch is gold right uh, you know for a retailer so you know, super interesting. Is is Paul worth ten million dollars over ten years? Yeah, hundred percent. Like anybody that would disagree with that, I think doesn't understand the business side of disc golf. Um, you know, I have always been in the business world. Um, you know, I work for a company now. We do you know business sales or we do home delivery sales. Um, you know, I manage you know eight routes, whatever. So I understand the business side of things. If I have a Paul McBeth, who anything he touches is golden and who is the best in the sport, there's a reason There's a reason Jordan brand shoes sells out everything they touch, that there's a line out the door for any Jordan brand shoes is because he's the best. Well, if you have the best player, you, you don't want to see him leave in four years. Somebody will pay him a million dollars to sell their disc. promise you. Discraft was smart to restructure and say, hey, we, we think that the sport is going to grow. Because, A, it's already grown 100%, but we think it's going to keep growing. We want to keep you on for this next 10 years of growth. And we're going to pay you a million dollars. The great thing about disc golf is you don't have to be super athletic to play. He's not going to break down. You know? Paul McBeth's not going to break down. If He's already had an ankle injury. He still went out one last year. Right. So it's not like the NBA where a torn ACL, you're out, and then you may never recover. Like, AKA Derek Rose never recovered, right? Like that's not going to happen. Paul could tear his ACL in a year, still be back and throw discs 400 feet. 
and it'll, and it'll be fine, and it's still going to be the leader in that that aspect. I never thought about Brody though signing you know that big of a contract down the road either. I was thinking, my opinion, I thought Paige Pierce was going to be the next big contract. Now, I mean, say what you want, but she does lead on open courses, hands down. She can crush farther than most females can. Um, but I think definitely down the road, I won't be surprised if I if we see her with a three to four or five million dollar contract either. Yeah, no, I think I think Paige is awesome, and I think the growth of women's sport. You know, I hope that it keeps growing the way it does. You know, the good thing about disc golf is it's, it's unilateral as far as sex goes. Um, so I throw, I have I think two Paige Pierce discs in my back. So it's not like everything's different between men and women. Um, you know, a lot of guys won't throw lighter discs, and they probably should. Everybody thinks they need to throw max weight, and they should. I mean, I'm 6'5", 350 right now, and I guarantee you I don't throw everything max weight because that's not the point. You know, the, the idea is to get the, the disc in the hole however you've got to do that, and everybody's different. Um, I, I could see Paige shining that because she's so dominant. But from a – so you got to realize it's not based on performance. It's based on sales. So that's what a lot of people don't realize. They think, oh, well, I'm a 1,000-rated player. I should be sponsored. Yeah, but do you sell anything? Do you have an online presence? You know, like if – do I – like so I play on a disc golf team. I play on Fisher Disc Golf, right? So it's a, it's a smaller company out of Michigan. Awesome dudes. The only reason I play on it it's because I like what they do. Like uh, they do disc golf stacks on Facebook, where they you buy pools and you kind of pick what you know, what row and what number disc, and you do that. And they're just cool guys. They've always been cool. Like I just the only reason I know them is because I bought some discs on the stacks just for fun when I was trying to throw other stuff. And they're just they're just they're just nice guys. And they they decided to have a team. And I said, hey man, I said I'll promote your stuff like down here. Like I don't want anything for it. I'm not going to sell them any more discs. Like, I'll get a discount code and I'll be able to give it to my friends. And if they want to go online and buy something, that's fine. But I'm not going to sell. Nobody's going to buy the Roy Skidmore signature disc. That's just not going to happen. Hey, maybe somebody will locally. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe eventually that'll happen. I doubt it. I'll buy it, but that'd be the only one. But people will buy the Page Pierce disc, but I'm telling you, they're not going to buy it at the rate that they'll buy the Brody Smith disc. Of course. You know, people buy Wasaki Destroyers and, and Heimberg, whatever. But literally, the Zone was already the best-selling, probably, approach disc, like Discraft had. The Get Freaky Zones are going, and it, all it is is a Z-Flex. It is literally just a soft Z-Zone, and people are paying $600 for it on aftermarket. That's there's too much. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's ridiculous, right? Like, I got one. I don't even throw it. I gave it to my son. I didn't like it. I didn't like the feel of it. People literally are buying it just because it says Get Freaky on it and it's Brody Smith's, and they hang it up. And they, I, I don't even get it. I don't get the collector market. I don't pay aftermarket prices for this. It's not that important. So, But they, you couldn't get one. Like, there's literally people selling Get Freaky Zones when they first came out before they even got the disc shipped from Discraft. But they got the order confirmation and posted on eBay. And we're selling it for like $300. And people were buying it and bidding on it. So that's why I say Brody will probably have the next big contract. Because you don't see that with anybody else. To be honest with you, Philo has the best destroyer out there. The Philo destroyer from a couple years ago, the best destroyer out there. 
I only know that because I see Tommy Gray throw it 500 feet on Anheuser, and it just holds the line the whole time. But you don't see anybody paying $600 for that. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Like, the Ken Climo stuff, yeah, everybody likes. Like, they'll pay a little extra for that or 12 times or whatever. But the Paul Me Best stuff, the Brody Smith stuff, that's the stuff that is selling now. You know, it's funny you mentioned Climo. I just sold a 12X, I think it was Destroyer. No, it wasn't Destroyer. It was maybe a Thunderbird or a T-Bird or something along those lines. And I only it sold for like maybe 20 bucks. And you're talking, this is the guy that's supposed to be the greatest disc golfer to ever played disc golf. And, and it comes down to Eric, because I was thinking about that too the other day. Ken Climo in his time was the greatest disc golfer. Like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan in his time was hands down the best basketball player out there. I think if you bring Climo into today's uh, tour with the with the skill these guys have, I don't think he would have anywhere near. He might. I, uh, I haven't followed enough of Climo to really know, but I think the competition is so much better now that I don't think he would have 12 world titles. No, so I agree with that in the sense. I think he would compete. I think he would be in the top level. Um, but I think you're right in the aspect of that everybody is so good now that it's different. Um, you know, kind of going back on YouTube, I go down to rabbit holes and I've seen Climo throw and, and some of the stuff he does. And, and absolutely, like, there's too many good players now for there's somebody to go. So, like, Paul being a five, Paul being five time, he'll probably win another one or two. He's that good. Um, but it's not like he can go on a run. Nobody will see 12 times. No. There's just not There's just not as many that top-level players. So do you think Paul is at the point where if he wins another one, cool. If not, he's made the brand so popular that... No, I mean... I mean I'm mean, i not saying Paul's trying to... You know, the mentality is win or, win or nothing, but it just seems like when Paul gets so, a certain point behind in the leaderboard, he doesn't try as hard. No, I don't know if he doesn't try as hard, but I mean... You, you got to realize this golf, this golf sometimes you have and sometimes you don't. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a level of skill and a level of luck involved. Right? So, so you know, taking my last tournament, I went out in the first round and just, I, I hit everything. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I hit lines that I'm like, all right, sweet. Now, I missed some easy holes, and so I thought, well, I'm going to shoot eight under this next time. I know there's three or four holes that I didn't get that I could easily get. And just nothing ever happened. Like, you hit a tree here, you hit a tree there. That stuff happens, right? You know, but Paul is so like if you look at the Belton Open right now, you have Paul, Ricky, and Calvin in the in, in the top three. Paul's at twenty eight, Ricky's at twenty seven, Calvin's at twenty one. Right, so so Paul is always going to be there. The difference is is Paul doesn't have the fall offs that everybody else has. So I look at the leaderboards and stuff for all these big events, and I always scroll to the bottom to see if you see big names, and you do. You'll see the Tristan Tanner. You'll see the well. Yulebury's playing really well this year, but you'll see these big names down the leaderboard because their fall off is like 60th or 70th place. Paul's fall off is like ninth. Huge difference, you know. Like his bad round is somebody's good round. That's what I think the big difference is. You know, like you can in, in, in to equate that locally like when I play with Jeremiah and I, I play with him a lot I like him I play with Tommy a lot their bad rounds are three or four under at like Sycamore their good rounds are like 12 my bad round at Sycamore is like plus 12 my good round I'm shooting even yeah you know what I mean so like 
that's where the that's where the skill level difference comes. It's bad rounds against good rounds. Consistency is the key. You know what I mean? So, so if I look back at when I was in high school and in college in basketball, because that's the only thing I'm equated to. If I had a good game, I was averaging 17 points. My great games, I was averaging like 26, 27. My average is like 20 points a game, 10 rebounds, right? So, decent, right? Yeah, absolutely. But that was the difference in between why I got to go to college and other players didn't. It's because my bad games were 16 or 17 points. Their bad games were like 8 or 9. And nobody knew who they were. Paul's bad rounds are like 5 or 6 under. And his good rounds are like 12 or 13. That's that's kind of the difference on what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, Paul's bad rounds are better than a lot of guys' good rounds. But it... It just seems if you watch his demeanor on the course, when he gets down to that bad round level, I don't want to say he gives up, but it's it just like he's he knows he's not going to win. It, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my observation from watching him. So that's the that's the great equalizer in disc golf right now is you know you're not if it's it's the hot four rounds that win, right? So if you shoot a bad round, somebody's going to shoot a hot round. Somebody's going to go twelve under, especially on the the disc golf pro tour. That's just what's going to happen. So if you're not on, the cool thing, and that's why I say Climo would be great, but he wouldn't be as good, is you have to be on for four or three rounds or however long the tournament is the whole time. You know what I mean? You can't go out there. So, like, I went out and shot a hot round four under, and I was tied in the intermediate. Well, then I think James Ritter won, and he shot six or you know five or six under. I shot even. Well, guess what? Even's not going to cut it because you're not hot for two rounds. You know, so and that's – double that in the, at the Pro Tour. All those guys can go out and shoot 12 under. It's just a matter of who can do it for four straight days. Or for three straight days, right? So, so if Paul's 10 shots back, well, you're not going to care as much because you know no matter what you do, you're not going to win. Because even if you shoot eight, 18 under, you may pick up like five strokes. Because that top guy's going to shoot 12 under. You pick up, you do 18 that top guy's probably gonna do eleven or twelve. It's just a different. It's a different level of things. You know, that's that's really all it is. You know, I, I, I think that is that that is kind of, but I think that is that is what makes the disc golf pro tour pretty sweet now, especially on the men's side. Now on the women's side, unfortunately, it's still the the one good thing about the women's side that I like. Um, Scoggins has done well. Cat Allen has done well. Haley King, Paige Pierce. So it's not just Paige Pierce anymore. No, Haley right, we're, has, getting, we're getting five or six, five or six women who are starting to compete every time. That's so for me. That's sometimes more interesting than the men's side. For the simple fact that, oh, we've had someone dominate for the last couple of years. Well, now everybody's catching them. And that's only going to help the women's sport grow. I think Haley King has really come out of almost nowhere. You know, local to Wisconsin. Uh, played a handful of events a couple of years ago, and then last year just exploded in skill level and actually beat Paige Pierce for the Worlds. Yeah. So that's that just says something about her in itself. And the fact that uh, Paige, one of the things that I really enjoyed about her watching her with that round last year was she went over and actually congratulated Haley King on the win. I think gave her a disc maybe even. or yeah, so Really show the, the um, good sport that Paige is. Well, yeah, they're both team discraft. But, you know, I think for Paige, the best thing is she has competition. It, 
it gives her somebody to push her. Like, it's easy to be the best and always be the best, but if you never have anybody to push you, you're not gonna. It's it's not good. You know, the, the one good thing why Paul keeps getting better is because he's got Ricky. Chris Dickerson is is crazy good. Nico's always around somewhere. As crazy as he is, he's always around. Mm-hmm. Calvin Heinberg is awesome. He's always around. KJ. Conrad. Conrad's yeah. always in the mix, yeah. it seems like. Conrad. So, <laughs> funny thing about James Conrad, I always feel bad for him because every time he's on the lead card on a Joe Mess production. So, like I said, I got into the YouTube rabbit hole. I always felt like he was awful on the final day of the lead card. He was just terrible. And I always felt bad. I'm like, I feel like if they weren't filming you, you'd be so much better. He would be on the lead card of every event that I would watch on Jomez or like, you know what I mean? And he would just do awful. And I'm like, I feel bad for this guy. Maybe like, maybe that's some pressure getting to him. And, and no, I think he's just unlucky. You know, it, like, it, that's very possible. So real quick, final thoughts, uh, going back to our local local scene. Uh, when when you're prepping for a tournament, and it, it you know it's the morning of a tournament, you get there early, you do your warm ups. Um, is there anything that you do specifically to help you mentally get ready no. for a long day, or do you just wing it and just kind of yeah, so play, play the best you can and hope for a couple good rounds? Yeah. So a little background on me. Um, so I played college basketball, uh, played high school basketball, was really good all state, all that good stuff here in Ohio. Um, so I played in some big games. Played in college basketball at a small school because I'm six four, not very tall. So you're not gonna. I mean, Kobe Bryant six six and was a point guard. So that should tell you everything you need to know. Um, so I, I've been in big games in big situations. Um, so that stuff never bothered me. Um, I fought MMA. I fought in a cage a couple times. I've done jujitsu tournaments. You know, it's so disc golf really is like. For me, like, I, I don't let it get too big, right? So I like to think that I'll get there early and warm up, and I've started to do that a little bit. But honestly, I get there like 10 minutes before my tea time, and I'm running to the tea box. Um, that is not the best way to do things. I, I've started to change that and get out and throw a little bit. Um, so that way I'm not three holes in and, like, man, I should have warmed up. Um, but as far as the tournament goes, no, like – I'm super I'm super cool if like the three guys on my car don't want to talk and are involved or if like we could have fun like I played my best rounds where dudes are just you know talking crap and saying good shot like I'm really cool about that I don't putt I may go out and throw a couple putts and if I make them I just stop because I'm not gonna out putt myself um and that was the same way in ball golf when I go play tournaments or different things like I'd take a couple shots and feel my swing that day I'm going to know what my swing's going to do or my, my arm swing two throws in. I'm going to know if it's there or it's not. If it's not there, you grind it. If it's there, then you just flow it. You know, like I'm not – will that change when I when I go to like MA40 or MP40? Probably. I'll probably take it a little more serious. You know, right now I'm playing intermediate. I know some players are better than me. I'm just trying to beat those guys. Um will that change when I when I get to that age division level and I'm like alright now I want to start winning then yeah but I'm a year and a half in not even so like for me it's just getting that repetition in um, competitively I'm trying to win every event I'll look at these people in there and know if they're going to beat me or not I'll see you throw and if you're going to beat me or not I'm trying to beat my card every mm-hmm. time I mean that's I just want to win my card 
let everything else take care of itself. But yeah, for me, like tournaments, it's fun. You know what I mean? It's it's a way for me being overweight, knee surgery, like can't play basketball anymore. I'm not going to. It just hurts. I can't do a lot of, you know, I'll probably start jujitsu again just to get in shape for disc golf because you have to be somewhat in shape. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, it's just fun to be competitive. Um, I don't really need, pla- I can afford plastic, so I don't need to win every tournament. You know, for me, it's just I'll pay 40, 50 bucks to be, to feel that competitive vibe, you know, in the second round and, mm-hmm. and that pressure that I felt like at Gym City. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, I'm cool. Like, I'll just, you know. So I'm not at the point yet where I'm taking it that serious. I think next January when I start MA40 or MP40 is what I hope. My rating's high enough. Uh, then definitely I'll, I'll start stretching maybe and do yoga or something on the side and, and, and get ready to go. I think for me, I just I mentally defeat myself from the word go. I, just, I put so much pressure on myself because, yeah, I'm a rec player. And I want to win. I want to compete. I want to, you know, I want to cash just because it feels good. You, feel, you, you know, you get that improvement and you, and you see results from your your field work, your your rounds, your your practice time. But I think I go into it just mentally with the idea that I'm going to compete and I defeat myself because I I see everybody else on my card that out drives me on a regular basis that's throwing way more consistent than me and I want to do what they do. I want to be as good as them. And I'm not as good as them, and it cause it forces me to end up playing high risk rather than play the safe shot, pitch up into the fairway, and um, have an easy putt for three, rather than trying to run a deuce and take a five or a four. So it's one of the biggest things I'm working on in my game right now is is playing smart golf, as they say, not army golf. That's I mean those are my final thoughts as far as you know my disc golf, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I can attest to that. I think the mental game of disc golf is just as important, you know, it is with regular golf. Um, because you're still, you, you have a means to an end. You have a starting point, you have a finishing point. How you get there is different for everybody. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that I've learned over this time is I'm never, I don't need to throw 500 feet. Like, realistically, those are par fours and I'll have two shots to get there. I can get to 350 now. And I'm cool with that because I know I can have a chance at a deuce on those holes. Um, but I've also tried to limit myself to where if it's 350, I know I throw a perfect shot, it'll get there. But if I throw a bad shot, I want to be safe. And I think that's kind of the biggest growth of, of where my game is and probably where your game needs to get to. I could totally agree with that. So, you know, with that being said, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, you know, this is obviously a number one episode We'll have some kinks to work out. We'll have some guests on, um, you know, next week or, or this episode two is going to be awesome. In definitely. fact, definitely tune into episode two because we have uh, Jeremy Panucci from Hazy Shade as our guest, and you don't want to miss that one. Yeah. So hey, thank you guys very much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.